Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of a serial killer from Solvang. But first, your true crime headlines. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has set an execution date for cop killer Eric Freen, who has been on death row since his first-degree murder conviction for the ambush shooting of two state troopers outside of their barracks in 2014. Freen attempted to appeal his conviction, but it was upheld by Pennsylvania's Superior Court and Supreme Court. On January 13th of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court declared to hear his appeal. By law, the Commonwealth is required to seek an execution warrant within 90 days of the High Court's decision. Though his execution is set for June 22nd, Freen will not be put to death on that date due to a moratorium on capital punishment, which has been in place in Pennsylvania since 2015. Since the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976, Pennsylvania has executed three condemned prisoners, the most recent occurring in 1999. A 51-year-old father is in custody, facing more than 20 charges, including rape and deviant sexual intercourse for the alleged sexual assault of his daughter and stepdaughter. Pennsylvania State Police said that the investigation, which was launched in early May, spans from 2006 to 2020 and involves two victims, aged 12 and 20. Both female victims report repeated abuse at the hands of Jason Daniel Goodwill, who is the father of one and the stepfather of the other. The 20-year-old victim told police that she believed that Goodwill had impregnated her multiple times, then administered chemicals to terminate the pregnancies. She also told police that she gave birth to a child in 2014 and that Goodwill took the child, who eventually died and was buried on his property in northern Pennsylvania. State police investigators confirmed to local news outlets that they had served a search warrant at the home and recovered evidence in connection to the death of a child. Goodwill was denied bond and is being held in the Erie County Prison. His preliminary hearing is scheduled for later this month. A family member of the accused killers of Ahmad Arbery took a photo of the murdered man's body lying in the street, then shared it online, according to The Sun. Lindsay McMichael is the sister of 34-year-old Travis McMichael and daughter of 64-year-old Gregory McMichael, the two men charged with first-degree murder for the shooting death of Arbery, who was gunned down while jogging through his Georgia neighborhood last February. On the day of his murder, Ms. McMichael took a photo of Arbery's dead body lying in a pool of blood in the street, surrounded by police tape, and then she shared that photo on Snapchat. Ms. McMichael concedes that sharing the photo was quote-unquote poor judgment, but explains that she did so because she is a quote, huge fan of true crime. Gregory and Travis McMichael chased Ahmad Arbery in their truck and confronted him because they reportedly believed that he was responsible for some robberies in their neighborhood. The case drew national attention and national outrage after local authorities failed to press charges for more than two months after the broad day shooting of Arbery, a black man who was unarmed and out for a jog when he was shot and killed. Gregory McMichael is a former law enforcement officer who worked as an investigator for the local district attorney's office before his retirement in 2019. Because of potential conflicts of interest, 
The first two district attorneys assigned to this case both recused themselves. It was only after a video of the confrontation was released that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation took over the case and filed first-degree murder charges against the father and son. Lindsay McMichael says that she and her mother have received death threats since the shooting, which she claims was not racially motivated. Her brother and father are being held without bond at the Glynn County Detention Center. At the request of the Arbery family, the U.S. Justice Department is considering federal hate crime charges against the McMichaels, and the FBI will assist if those charges are filed. Georgia is only one of six states without hate crime laws at the state level. Next up, a case of serial murders of California women in the 1970s. But first, a quick break. Have you been thinking about talking to someone? Perhaps something's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. Something like a global pandemic, maybe. It's time to get better help. Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide, with a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. You can log into your account anytime and anywhere to send a message to your counselor, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. How's that for social distancing? BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they'll make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after two weeks of counseling with Joni Cooper. Joni has been helping me to reconnect with the past that I never truly overcame. What I thought I had hurdled was simply suppressed. I don't think that I could be doing this without her. She really listens to what I have to say. She respects me. She affirms me and helps me to feel confident that there is a solution. Thank you, Joni. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Murder Minute to read more. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Murder Minute listeners Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash MurderMinute. Start getting better help. Now more than ever, it's important to eat healthy. And Daily Harvest makes it easy. They keep my house fully stocked with clean food, built on whole fruits and vegetables that take the guesswork out of it for me. 
Daily Harvest delivers delicious, clean food right to my door. It takes only a few minutes to prepare, and I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. Everything stays fresh in the freezer until you're ready to enjoy it. You don't have to overthink any of your meals for the week. They have delicious options for any time of day. Smoothies, soups, harvest bowls, flatbreads, and more. And Daily Harvest works directly with farms, freezing organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste so they never have to use preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. One of my favorites is the papaya smoothie. It's like a big tropical dessert that I don't have to feel guilty about eating for breakfast. And another thing you won't have to feel guilty about is the environmental impact. Daily Harvest are in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable packaging and are over 50% of the way there already. So Daily Harvest is not just good for your body, it's good for everybody. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code MINUTE to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code MINUTE for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's promo code MINUTE for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Now, the story of Thor Christensen and the lives he stole. Weeks into 1977, Patricia Laney, known as Patty to her friends, was 21 years old and studying psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara, when she made headlines in a horrific way. But that wasn't the first time she became known in her community. The professional actress and juggler infused her bright personality into volunteer work and supporting local organizations, a credit union, a food co-op, a medical clinic. Many people knew her. That January, she was preparing to perform as Wendy in a Peter Pan production. She couldn't have known that an eerie parallel was about to be drawn between her story and Wendy's. Two strong women captured by a vicious man. In Peter Pan, Wendy never stops believing Peter will save her. In Patty's case, no one knew she had been captured until it was too late. Weeks before Patty went missing, two other women were plucked from the Isla Vista street. Jacqueline Rook, also 21 and a UCSB student, told her friends she had gone shopping and she never returned. Then, Marianne Saris, a 19-year-old waitress, vanished after an appointment at a health center. Both women had presumably been hitchhiking, which was commonplace then. When Patty learned of these abductions, she joined others in protests to raise awareness and carry signs touting messages like free bus service for those in need and night service on all buses. If the women could have hopped on a bus, would their fate have been different? Women drivers were urged to, quote, pick up a sister. Eager to help, Patty handed out missing person flyers, featuring Jacqueline and Marianne. Then one night, she left play practice for a class, hitching a ride from a young man who seemed harmless in broad daylight or perhaps forced her away from the bus stop where she was last seen. When she failed to show up for her Peter Pan performance, her friends knew something was terribly wrong. Decades later, her close friend and castmate, 
Ron Bender, still choked up talking about Patty. In the 2013 British TV series Born to Kill, he said, It's weird when you have a friend where they're rehearsing twice a week and all of a sudden, they're just not there anymore. They're gone. He and Patty were close, he said, talking about her as though they had been rehearsing lines together just yesterday. The day after her disappearance, a new deputy was driving near Refufio Road, near President Reagan's property, when he spotted her stripped body dumped in a canyon. While canvassing the area a half mile away, investigators found the body of Jacqueline Rook. Near one of the bodies, detectives found thick, restaurant-style paper towels coated in blood. The blood contained fingerprints, but no match came up in the database. Two months later, Mary Saris's badly decomposed remains were found in another canyon, just north of Santa Barbara. All three women had been killed with a pistol, by one shot to the head. Police also believed they had been raped. Around the same time in the same area, a young man named Thor Christensen was found drinking and smoking marijuana with some of his buddies in his Audi. Police asked them all to step out of the car so they could search it. Christensen seemed adamant about not letting police see inside his trunk, but eventually he caved. Inside, they found a large bag holding a pistol. This didn't strike them as odd, given that many people had guns in the rural area. They confiscated the weapon, but didn't put Christensen on the suspect list. As news spread of the murders, including an FBI profile that described a young male loner police were on the lookout for, the killer changed things up. He left the quaint rural town for the bright lights of Los Angeles, trolling for sex workers to fulfill his violent needs. One of those women, a prostitute named Lydia Preston, would help lead investigators to his capture. Lydia was walking on Hollywood Boulevard one night when the man propositioned her. They settled on a rate and she climbed into his pristine car. He made small talk as he drove, claiming he was a construction worker from Santa Barbara. Meanwhile, Lydia pointed out hotel after hotel they could stop at for her services. He passed them all, continuing his ramble. Then he drove off of the city streets into the Hollywood Hills, where the streets curve between lush nature and pricey homes. Little is visible at night as darkness sets in. No one was around to witness as he pulled out a gun and shot her in the head. Still alive and determined to stay that way, Lydia grabbed the wheel of his car, making it swerve. Then she fled from the vehicle and managed to reach the front door of a house. Someone inside answered and called 911. As medics rushed to the home, the assailant fled. Lydia was left with scars and deafness in one ear, but no brain damage. And three months later, she was back to work on Hollywood Boulevard. One night, she was in a bar during a shift when she spotted her attacker near the entrance. She called the police from a payphone at the back of the venue, staying there while they put her on hold, and the man who haunted her nightmares made his way further inside. When the operator returned, she filled them in. The man who shot her in the head was within walking distance, and yes, she was certain it was him. Quickly, investigators saw similarities between her attack and the three murders in the Santa Barbara area. The victims were all young women with similar looks, 
all were picked up by a stranger who seemed not only violent, but potentially sexually sadistic. And they were all shot in the head with the same type of weapon. In searching LA, detectives discovered that the suspect had been on a killing spree there as well. They found the body of sex worker Laura Benjamin in a canyon, where she had been for weeks. The suspect was Thor Christensen, the man whose gun had been confiscated by police after a night of partying in his car. Looking into his history, they learned he had grown up in Solvang after his family emigrated to the U.S. from Denmark when he was five years old. His parents owned and ran a successful restaurant in town, which explains the paper towels and his expensive car. When friends of the killer learned he had been arrested, they were stunned until they started putting the pieces together. Christensen had seemed like a good, smart kid early on, they said, but over time, he showed signs of inner darkness. He drank alcohol from a very young age, killed small animals more than once, and seemed socially awkward in his teens, especially when it came to girls. Some claimed that his alcoholic father routinely beat him, In Born to Kill, one of his friends said he would return from his jaunts to Los Angeles, bragging and all lit up over the supposed incredible sex he had had with hookers. Looking back, that friend said, he wonders if he was truly getting off on the murders. Soon, police would learn more grisly details about the man's crimes, including what he did get off on, power and control. At first, Christensen pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, but after professional analysis indicated he was sane enough to stand trial, he changed his plea to guilty. A man named Mike Kirkman, who had been leading the investigation for the missing women, had left the sheriff's department by this point and was working for the defense. Christensen requested him, so he drove to the jail to meet with him. While they had spoken before, Kirkman had never witnessed this side of the man, His entire face changed as he detailed his crimes, which he claimed he had committed because, quote, the girls deserved it. Among the details, he shared that he raped them post-mortem, having sex with the corpses, as though to signify that he owned them. Kirkman is now known for finding missing people, according to Las Vegas detectives. One has to wonder if interviewing the victims' families, feeling the depth of their pain, and then witnessing the killer's cruel arrogance led him to that specialty. Of course, contrary to what he believed, Christensen did not own his victims. 21-year-old Jacqueline Rook, 19-year-old Marianne Saris, 21-year-old Patricia Patty Laney, and 22-year-old Laura Benjamin are remembered not for the way they died, but for who they were as people, the lives they lived until then. They were daughters, sisters, students, friends, people with dreams who contributed to a society. Patty's close friend and Peter Pan castmate, Ron Bender, wanted to do something special in her honor to keep her bright spirit alive. Since she was a juggler, Ron helped create a juggler's festival in Patty's honor. The Santa Barbara Jugglers Festival is considered the longest juggling festival held in a single location, and profits support the Santa Barbara Rape Crisis Center. Even decades after her death, Patty is making a difference. 
At one point in Peter Pan, the main character says, Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Patty never had a chance to say goodbye, but like the other victims in this case, she will never be forgotten. As for Christensen, he was killed by a fellow inmate at Folsom State Prison in 1981. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.